Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is the TeacherCast podcast. Today, we're going to be talking all about the ISTE conference, and we're going to be wrapping up what just happened in Chicago, Illinois. 23,000 educators all got together to talk about education, ed tech, and the great things that are happening these days in their classroom. I have three fantastic guests on to talk all about what they thought of the conference. Before we get to our guests and our conversation, I want to remind you guys that there's several great ways to reach out and be a part of our show each and every week. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail, and we love it when you email us and let us know what you think about the show over at feedback at TeacherCast.net. It has been a great summer. We had a fantastic time at the conference, and we are looking forward to learning what you guys think and what you have going on for your show this summer and into the next school year. want to bring on our first guest today, Amanda. Amanda, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for being here. It is so nice to meet you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. A former classroom teacher, middle school language arts. And then I thought, why not move into the world of ed tech? So after about six years, said, let's do it. Taught K-8 technology and then moved my way up to a tech director position. This was all in North Carolina, Wake County. Um, after that, decided, let's go back to school. Let's learn more about this ed tech world and how it applies to curriculum. So I'm an applied researcher, uh, and currently I lead the implementation team at Learn, uh, the creators of Learn Platform. Very, very nice. And, of course, we like having Learn on. We had them on a couple months ago. And we're going to be learning a lot more about Learn today in this episode. I want to bring on Michelle. Michelle, how are you today? Welcome to the platform. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is uh, awesome to be here. So my name is Michelle Haken. I'm a middle school educator uh, in New York, and I've been teaching for 20 years, middle school, eighth grade English. Um, I'm also an author, and I recently published a personalized reading, digital tools and strategies to support diverse learners. That is awesome, and certainly looking forward to hearing more about that as we go through. And finally, I want to bring on from the great state of New Jersey. We're, we're going to do a Jersey theme today. We found out that when we started recording, we're all from the great state of New Jersey here. Dr. Sonny, how are you today? Uh, very well, thanks. Very well. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, I'm, for all the listeners, my name is Sonny Magania, and it rhymes with lasagna. <laughs> very, very cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Sonny, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, thanks very much for having me. I'm a simple teacher uh, from New Jersey. I started teaching in 1983, and that's the first year that I started researching the impact of technology on education. So I'm one of the old dogs in that game of uh, considering the nexus, the sweet spot, uh, where technologies can enhance instruction and learning. Uh, I'm currently a consultant. Uh, I uh, was a principal for a number of years. I was a tech director. I work with my good friend and co-author on several research projects, Dr. Robert Marzano. Uh, currently, I'm uh, working with my other friend and researcher and uh, uh, Dr. John Hattie on looking at uh, most reliable uses of technology to enhance student achievement. I'm also an author, and we'll talk about my uh, uh, latest book. And we're going to be learning a lot more about that later on. And, uh, you know, if you guys, if the name John Hattie, of course, is familiar, we just did a, a fantastic show with our friends over at Corwin about their visible learning system based on the work of John Hattie. 
So lots of great stuff going on here. But first, I want to ask the important question. What did you guys think about ISTE 2018? Huge. Huge? (laughs) So many people, just so much going on. Um, Really one of the the best experiences I've had at a conference ever. How many? Is this this your first ISTE? No. uh, My first ISTE was actually back in 2005 before it was technically called ISTE. It was the site conference then, I think. Um, so many changes over the year, but this was fantastic. And Michelle, what do you think? You know, that the evolution, like Amanda's talking about, is so incredible. I mean, ISTE is pure awesomeness. You know, when you think about any, like, ed tech conference, like, globally, uh, ISTE is the big one that you want to be a part of because there are so many avenues and to explore and so many great like opportunities, not only to like learn and network, but also to just build your own technology and educational toolbox. I, I completely agree. So many things to do. We're certainly going to talk about how do you do ISTE? How do you do these mega conferences? Uh, Sonny, what did you think? I, I'm assuming you've been to an ISTE conference once or twice. Uh, yeah, I've been involved with this the, back when they were NECC, the National Education Computer Conference, uh, a long time ago. Um, I, I echo uh, the sentiments. In fact, uh, it was it was huge. But I also have a a lens through which I view conferences, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, run a flag up and say we must be really cautious at looking at these shows, particularly at ISTE and the instance at ISTE, that's too heavy on tech and not enough on pedagogy. And so that's a lens through which I view experiences like ISTE. And in this one, I, I'm going to say, I, I think it was um, quite an echo chamber of really surface learning and technology use that um, uh, is something we should be really cautious about. Um, other than that, I had some great experiences, met with some great folks, um, but it was heavily skewed towards the tech side of educational technology. And that's something I'd like to talk about. Well, we're certainly going to be diving into some of the trends because, I mean, this was my sixth ISTE conference and my, my first time to Chicago, which was a, an amazing city. I, I love how everything was is kind of laid out there. I had some great times there. Um, but I, I agree with what you're saying there, uh, Sonny. There was a lot of as you say, surface level stuff. And there was also a lot of trends. It kind of reminded me of going into Best Buy a few years ago and everything suddenly was 3D televisions. And then the following year, no 3D televisions at all. And you can certainly see some of these trends that were happening here. Um, Before we get into some of the heavier stuff here, I kind of wanted to talk about one of the things that was new to ISTE this year. Um, Amanda, first of all, talk to us a little bit about more about what Learn is doing and what this brand new ISTE platform is, which is called the EdTech Advisor Program. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, Learn Platform is an EdTech management platform. And what we do is to help um, districts, other educational organizations to organize streamline and analyze EdTech management. So all the things that I tried to do was I was an EdTech director, um, hacking my way through it. Um, We enable districts to make better decisions about improved purchasing um, and basically ease that burden of EdTech management, help leaders get teachers and students what they want and what they need most, um, and also help districts and administrators make sense of all this data that's around them um, that sometimes can be hard to do on a day-to-day basis. Um, And you're absolutely right. We partnered with ISTE this year, um, announced the EdTech Advisor at the conference, which was 
really fantastic, very exciting. Um, EdTech Advisor, which is powered by Learn Platform, is available to all ISTE members, so it's an ISTE member benefit. And basically what it provides is a single location to share and learn about product experiences with other ISTE educators. Uh, it supports informed decision-making on new products and apps. Um, and really what it does is provides a form for teacher experiences, um, a more complete picture of a product's potential and how it's working for teachers in the field. So data points for discussing an app's effectiveness with peers and essentially an easy to use platform with information on thousands of EdTech tools. So we're really excited about it. And that's really important to have these days because, and I remember when we did, you know, this kind of a topic on the show a few, a few months ago, there's a lot of school districts out there that are having so many questions about what to bring into their school districts. And this happens to be a fantastic answer that is available now to every ISTE member. That's correct. And so collaborating with ISTE's global network, um, really it helps everyone and, and Learn Platform advance the mission of providing educators and students with equitable access to tech that actually drives results. And Sunny, I know that's something that's really important to you too. It is. I think that, that really, um, thanks for, for passing it over, Amanda. I'll, I'll take the beach ball, uh, just like we're on the Jersey Shore, and uh, bounce it around for a bit. Um, we, we really need to be very aware of the impact of uh, our technologies, not just that we use technology, certainly that's important, and certainly it's important that we manage uh, our uh, tools so that way we can make more judicious decisions and manage our costs as effectively as possible. But any of that without a critical conversation on actual impact on student achievement um, loses its, its efficacy and loses the teeth in the technology. And that's been, um, you know, something I'm, I'm, I'm really keen about. So thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Well, Sonny, when it, when it comes to that stuff, what are you looking for exactly? Because there's so many presentations that happen during the conference, before the conference, and, you know, you walk down the main lobby there and people are just setting up tables in the middle of the hallway and doing presentations. And I agree, right? Like, and we said this earlier, right? The, the surface stuff is there. What is, a what is the definition of a standout presentation? Like, what do you really want to see more when you go into a, a you know, conference room and you see somebody get up and, and talk for an hour? Yeah, thanks very much for, for uh, uh, again, passing the ball my way. Uh, I think it's, it's um, critical that we understand um, that, uh, that there's research, then there's research. And there's, evidence, there's different levels of evidence. So, so I'm going to share uh, something that I write about. There's actually five levels of evidence. Um, personal experience, which is a personal opinion. Collective uh, experience, which is a collective opinion. Then they start to get level three, which is systematic observation. Actual studies that are, have, more, have more validity and more reliability. The fourth level is uh, compounding evidence, where you have more than one study that demonstrates impact or relationship between variables like technology on student achievement. The fifth level is the preponderance of evidence. When you have thousands and thousands of studies that point to um, a relationship between technology and education, that we should be paying attention to levels uh, four and five, because it's really hard to argue against those levels. And that's what John Hattie does and what Marzano does. They look at uh, the preponderance of evidence. So what I'd like to see is, the, is less of the opinion, less marketing information and propaganda that could be considered individual or collective opinion and more research-based evidence. Evidence-based practices matter, 
and applying and implementing evidence-based practices matters more. So I, go ahead. Oh no, I, you know, I, I just love that pyramid of, of research. And I think that's so important. And, you know, going to something as, as huge as ISTE, where you have like 23,000 educators, uh, tech consultants, companies, you know, we need to, everybody's there for a different reason. And for Sunny or myself, who are teachers who are there trying to find the research for the best practices in our own classroom, you know, we have a specific lens for somebody who's a first timer at ISTE. Uh, it could be overwhelming. So like, how do you choose? And that's always a dilemma at any conference. How do you choose the best sessions to go to? Do you go because it has this jazzy type? Or do you go because you know who that person is and they've read some, they've written something or they've presented and you've seen them and you want to be a part of that energy live and them sharing what new work they're working on? I mean, that, that does seem to be the question here. And, and, you know, we were talking earlier a little bit about, you know, proposals and what does a proposal look like? I would not want to be on the choosing committee for a huge conference like this and have to go through everything. But it really seems like, you know, Conference proposals come in a few different categories, right? Somebody gets up and talks about a blog post they wrote. Somebody gets up and talks about a research paper or some kind of, you know, so, some kind of research function. Some people get up and do the interactives. And, and there's, there's a lot of people that really go there and want to learn how to save and share a Google Doc. I mean, there's so many different levels of, of, of ed tech-ness. Ed -techness. I'm not sure what the right word is on yeah. that. But but what do you guys look for? I know John, you're you know the ability to sorry, um, Sonny, the ability to go up and 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 look at that research stuff. Michelle, what do you look for when you're looking through that that catalog or that schedule? What do you you know what what gets you into a session? Uh, most of the time, it's the person presenting. Do I know them? Have I read? their materials, whether it's be a published book or a blog post or a podcast, like I want to see them because they are trustworthy. But I also know that, and I always make time daily for those, um, the playgrounds and also the poster sessions, because I love seeing that, uh, basic ground level personal experience that these people, especially in the poster sessions are bringing because it could jolt an idea. In some cases they are research-based because these are graduate students or doctoral students who are uh, presenting teacher action research. Uh, that is something that I, I, I found that since my first ISTE, that's what I want to make time to see no matter what. So, Amanda, was there any sessions that you had the opportunity to go? Well, first of all, let me ask, was this the first time you were at ISTE as a um, vendor, not as a teacher? This was my second ISTE in that role, and it's definitely a, a different experience. Um, I feel like I get to talk to actually so many more people, really hear different perspectives on the conference instead of being a little more siloed in, in my own journeys and, and with my own you know, group of, of teacher friends. So it's actually a really nice experience. Um, and I think that 
especially this year, that influenced my perspective on what you were asking about earlier, which are trends. Um, but yes, to answer your question, I, I do make time to see some sessions if we have uh, research partners who are presenting or others that I know of just from being in the field. Um, I do try to get to as many of those sessions as I can. And who who did you go to see this year? Or who who stands out? I never like using the word edu celebrity, but who, who stands <laughs> out in your mind? Well, I can tell you that, um, you know, there's so much to share, but one thing that I was looking for this year because I was curious were the people's choice sessions. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting way to bring um, that idea of peers having a say in the selection process into something as big as ISTE, and I wanted to see how that would play out. Um, there was a people's choice session that made a huge impact on me, uh, led by Blair Mishlau, who's um, actually one of our partners at the Western School of Science and Tech in Phoenix. And he actually led two people's choice sessions, back-to-back, uh, -back, no less. But the one that I really enjoyed uh, that stood out to me was focused on culturally relevant teaching, or CRT. Uh, it was really hands-on, gave us time to think about, you know, how can we create experiences for learners to make positive, socially responsible contributions um, that build relationships and community. And based on the buzz in the room and the conversations that I heard, um, it really went over well. Nice. Sonny, who did you go out and see? Uh, I saw a lot of folks, actually. But the thing that really um, strikes was a meeting I had with John Kao, yes. who is a brilliant uh, thinker and innovator. He wrote a little booklet called The Innovator's Manifesto, yes. which I think everybody should read. <laughs> so he and I were in the midst of this echo chamber uh, of um, – uh, tech enthusiasts, and and we were just it was a very sobering conversation because um, he knows Hattie's research as as do I, um, and if we were to plug the overall impact of technology on Hattie's scale, and Hattie uses a scale from zero to one, so I won't get too heavy about the statistics and everything that, that underpins it, but if let's say we have it on a scale of one to ten, the average impact of technology, any computer technology on student achievement, is a three out of ten. I want to say that again, the average impact of technology on student achievement is a 3 out of 10, according to Level 5, the preponderance of research by John Hattie. And what's even more alarming is that that impact hasn't changed in 50 years. So I think it's really important that we have a critical conversation about the most reliable ways that pedagogy can be enhanced by technology. And that is where the optimism should lie. When pedagogies are enhanced by technologies, there's actually a very large effect size. Um, so that, that's the kind of conversation that I, I, I hope that um, ISTE embraces uh, and that presenters share their research findings, not just on student engagement, which is really difficult to ascertain and, and really difficult to, uh, to um, describe, but on actual evidence-based impact. We had a good conversation out there with John and his son, Desi, who he uh, was walking around. Yeah. And uh, we, we last week, we actually just put that out as a podcast that you can find over on TeacherCast. And it was amazing to talk to John. You know, John was the guy that's been dubbed Mr. Innovation, Mr. Creativity. And, you know, I don't want to say Mr. Creativity Jr., but we had about <laughs> 10 minutes in the interview where it was just De Desi and I talking. And the insights that, that he has was absolutely amazing just to listen to it from a student's point of view, right? Because, yeah. yeah. you know, we always talk about student voice and student opinion. Yeah. This wasn't that. This was just raw, honest, why do all these things exist kind of questions yeah. from him. And it was it was absolutely fantastic. Um, with all these different conferences, right? Like we've got ISTE that we're talking about, but soon we're going to get into, you know, FETC, ASCD, ICE, McCall, uh, Q is coming around the corner again. 
how do you plan out your time, right? There's only so much that you can do. And I think there's like 5 million square footage of, of, of conference space, billions of vendors. Um, I, obviously, you guys are coming at this from a different point of view. But, but what suggestions do you have for anybody that's going to a mega conference like this? How do you plan your day? And is it something you do on the spur of the moment or weeks ahead? Do you get out your Google calendar and start to put things down? I think it's a little bit of both. And again, it depends on who you are and what you actually want to get out of the conference. Are you looking for new tech tools to implement and share with the teachers that you're working with? Are you specifically, you know, my first book that I edited was Gamify Literacy. So, and my entire English class is gamified. Mm -hmm. So I will go out and look for those gamified presentations or poster sessions because I want I love seeing what other people are doing and making those connections um, or there's a specific trend that you might be interested in but I I try not to plan everything out but really have a few things that I know throughout the day like I want to get to the EdTech Summit's playground because they always have great new uh, tricks of the trade when it comes to Google for a classroom or I know what so-and-so is presenting at a, pe a people's choice and they're a friend of mine. I want to see their presentation um, and plan it out that way. And, you know, I will say that the app for ISTE is an amazing tool and the fact that you can even just, even if you don't get there, you can still save that into your digital tote and go back later and see any handouts that they've posted up or look through a Twitter feed and get somebody else's uh, slide deck or handouts. You can also put that in your in your digital tote to come back to, to look at. Cause there was like one session that had like a great title that I went to the I went to the presentation from the same person the year before, but I couldn't make it with a conflict. And, um, but I still went into his resources and looked at his blog post because I wanted to see exactly what he was covering. And, and that's a good point with all that. We, we've talked a, a few times on the show here of how to navigate through all the presentations. And many people have said on the show here, if somebody is just regurgitating their blog post, just go watch, go read the blog post, right? Don't spend the hour of time in there unless you really want to see the presentation. Um, Sunny, as you went through the floor and, you know, again, there's hundreds of floor uh, vendors on the, on the floor. What stood out to you? What were some of the things that you saw or maybe oversaw or were sitting there going, okay, I don't get why this exists or what did you see on the vendor floor this year? You know, it, uh, thanks for asking. Um, let me uh, ask a question of everybody on the uh, um, on the show. Um, who said this? It's <laughs> much of a question. Who said this? Uh, this technology will revolutionize education. Books will be obsolete in schools. Schools will be completely transformed inside of ten years. Who said that? Uh, some some dot com website. I, don't know. <laughs> I hope nobody gave up books yet. <laughs> yeah, Michelle. Any any uh, uh, guesses, Amanda? I don't. I don't know. Well, it sounds like it could be, you know, somebody uh, modern talking about technology. The person who actually said it was Thomas Alpha Edison, another New Jerseyan, by the way. Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> but he said it in 1913. 
And he said it about a technology that was new that he said would revolutionize education and make books obsolete in 1913. Clearly, books were not obsolete in 1923, nor was education completely transformed. The technology he was talking about was motion pictures. Mm. That's a sobering idea. So I think it's a sobering idea because much of the information I heard from vendors on the floor echoed that sentiment. This great technology is going to automatically transform your classrooms. It's going to automatically transform student learning. It, you, all you need to do is buy it and transformation will come. <laughs> you know, it's, so I heard that a lot. And you know, I'm a big fan of Field of Dreams. You know, if, if you build it, he will come. That Field of Dreams mentality, we really have to take a critical look at that, uh, that, that idea that if we just buy technology, student learning will automatically be transformed. And that's a belief in a false prophet. I, I thought that I heard Tom pontificating at the Bloggers Cafe last week. <laughs> he, he had set up a podium and he was talking about this motion picture <laughs> thing going on there. He had a Wawa behind him. It was amazing. Yeah, I, <laughs> and of course, Tom Edison liked New Jersey pizza. Yes. So there's yes, uh, something on there. Yeah, but, uh, about movie projectors and thin crust, I believe, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I heard. I heard a lot, I heard a lot of um, um, hyperbole. And the, the actual evidence doesn't match the hyperbole. You know, we have an overly optimistic um, um, vendor floor. And so my, my um, advice for future ISTE vendors is, or future ISTE participants and vendors is this, beware of geeks bearing gifts. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. What does that mean? <laughs> we're geeks bearing gifts it's a, it's a I'm, I'm, I'm putting a pun on an old uh, uh, greek uh, uh story beware of geeks greeks bearing gifts there's a trojan horse it looms large in that in that uh, story um and often technologies approached in schools without a real critical look at how teachers can use it what is the impact evidence and can this technology actually lead to deeper learning and knowledge transfer i saw a lot of appetizers a lot of finger food at, at the ISTE floor and very little actual substantive uses of technology that lead to reliable increase in student learning. So we really need to be cautious about believing level one research, which is typically opinion, and look more critically at um, uh, evidence that is at least level three and preferably level four and five. Well, let, let, let me dive into that here because I, I want to get to know a little bit more about the, the research that you and John and, and you know everybody else is doing here. I noticed a little bit, I noticed a lot actually, more so this year than in the past, people were selling curriculum, but they were selling their product that, oh, by the way, had curriculum. Yeah. I thought there were more booths with robots or STEM things that, mm -hmm. oh, by the way, I work with this teacher and I have this curriculum. Mm -hmm. Shouldn't it be the other way around if here's a curriculum that's going to be, you know, amazing to use in your classroom that, oh, by the way, it uses this robot tool or this building device? Mm -hmm. What do you think with all this, Sonny? Because, I mean, yeah. is it about it's not about the toy. It's not about the tool. It's about what? Well, in a, in a way, it is about the tool, uh, because I think in a modern context, we we need language that speaks to us. So in my book, uh, my recent book, Disruptive Classroom Technologies, uh, and I, I chose that title with intentionality, <laughs> Disruptive Classroom Technologies, because I want to disrupt 
the epidemic of low-impact technology use in our schools. And in it, I, I share a, a framework that I've developed, the T3 framework for innovation. And I can sum it up in a very simple metaphor. I'm, I'm a rock and roll guy. I, I, I played rock and roll uh, for many years in New Jersey and Jersey Shore bands and still do play. And I can sum up my, my thinking in a very simple metaphor. In the modern era, in order to achieve the high levels that we want, we have to consider pedagogy is the, is the melody. High-impact pedagogy provides the melody. High-impact technology use adds the harmonies, and together you get great music. That's beautiful. So yeah. you're saying it's great the enough. tasty cake you. to your... <laughs> to my chocolate, my Wawa chocolate to, milk. To your Wawa chocolate <laughs> milk, yes. To, to, your Rose, to your Rosenberger's iced tea. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're going to stay local whole, on this one. Yeah, that's right. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts, and my research clearly shows that when technologies are used, many of the technologies on the floor could be used this way. When technologies are used <clears throat> to enhance highly reliable instructional strategies, the impact is greater than either those strategies used without technology or technology used in absence of those strategies. The whole is greater than the sum of the parts. But we have to remember that pedagogy adds the, is the melody. That's the basis for what we do. Effective or high-impact technology use adds the harmonies. And together, it, it has a, a, a holistic entourage effect. So, Sonny, you're, 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 you're talking my language here as, uh, as an 18-year, uh, you know, I've got two, de- two, two degrees in music education here, right? Oh, so, I didn't know that. So, oh. um, I, I'm, I'm very keen on what you're talking about right now, and I'm trying to come up with the tech coach analogy going, <laughs> that's all well and good, but how does that get into the average classroom, right? Because yeah. yeah. even if you take 23,000 people, let's just do some rough numbers. Let's say half of those people were teachers, and half of those people were just trying to learn how to save a Google Doc. That means out of 23,000 people, at most you got 4,500 that are looking at the research side. That's not a good percentage when you figure that 23,000 people is not the total of all educators. How, how do we bring this into the students? Yeah, that's, that's it. That is really what happens. And I'm sure Amanda and Michelle would agree with me, is that when technologies are used you can have a, 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 a moderate, a low to moderate effect. When they're used to en- enhance highly reliable teaching strategies, you get a large effect. When technology is used to enhance student learning in ways that is not possible in the absence of those technologies, the effect size is extra large. In fact, the effect size in my T3 framework is 1.6, which is equivalent to a quadrupling of academic achievement. And the key isn't that technology is used, it's how it's used and by whom. Primarily when technology is used by students so that they can represent what they know, what they can do, and how they think. That, that explodes academic achievement. It literally explodes academic achievement. So you nailed it. So I would love to add to that uh, just a little bit if I can. Um, so I'm, I'm fascinated by all of this and spend an awful lot of time working with um, district leaders, of course, on behalf of their educators and students to actually start to get um, a flashlight around that kind of impact. Um, and this isn't part of the EdTech Advisor, but it's a part of the platform, which is that ability using statistically valid methodology to really start to understand, you know, where are certain products showing those kind of impacts, but it really is about the teachers. It's finding those places where implementations are working and being able to get in and understand that. Um, And there's nothing better than 
empowering um, a district leader who perhaps was not previously confident in taking some of their data and being able to look at it in a different way, um, look at student usage and student groups and demographic groups. Um, that was one trend that I found this year more than others um, for the folks that came by and, and, and talked to us. Um, they're starting to realize that they can ask for certain kinds of data from the, the companies that they're working with and that they have a right to, um, to get in there and really utilize that information to find out more about their students specifically because the context in which those students are learning is really important. So um, I love everything you're saying. I think there's, there's probably a whole podcast just in this in itself. Yes. No, that's so true. Ah, sorry. I'm getting phone calls in between. Sorry. Um, but, I, you know, I think that if I could just interject and add something, you know, I remember last year when I was in, uh, then when we were in Texas for ISTE, I was walking through to go from one place and there was an entire setup of student projects mm -hmm. and students and like these elementary like fifth graders they had made these Glogster uh, boards that had like green screen movies and each student had chosen uh, a, an architectural like incredible like building around the world and did all this research around it and the kids were right there like presenting and talking and explaining what they did and the research and um, and showing me the green screen movies that they made and then how they made a 3D model and, you know, and how they turned the poster and made it digital. And I was so, uh, I was so blown away by here's this like 10 year old or 11 year old talking to me as if like they are the, they were the experts uh, and telling me all aspects of what they had to do and the steps and the process. And I didn't see that as much this time. And I don't know if that was a, uh, just part of like the whole Texas teacher conglomerate when we were there or like who organized that. But I, I did see some kids, but I didn't see um, when this year in Chicago, but I didn't see as many as when we were in Texas. And I, and I agree, like in terms of like, we get enamored with the new shiny tech tool and it's really, you know, we have to think about, the, the pedagogy, the teachers, and, and, you know, how it's not just like, oh, here, check out this new platform or this digital tool, but it's let me show you how to use this in ways that are going to amplify our students' voices and also help them to meet our learning objectives. You know, I, I have to say, Michelle in, and Amanda, in the words of John Lennon and Paul McCartney, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, giving students an opportunity to showcase their thinking using digital tools that will give them infinite possibilities to express their declarative knowledge, which is what they know, the procedural knowledge, which is what they can do, and more importantly, make their thinking not just visible, but explicitly available to themselves, to their teachers, and to other students has an enormous effect size an enormous effect size. And it's about students really becoming their own teachers. It's a concept I, I wrote about called the learning sensei, is when students learn how they learn best and learn how they represent their knowledge best by producing 
authentic knowledge and thought artifacts. Uh, you, you, uh, you're all part of the band, as far as I'm concerned. So, Sonny, so, so, I, I want to take your quote and I want to raise you one here because one of my favorite Lennon-McCartney quotes is, living is easy with eyes closed. Yeah. Now, I bring that one up because the question that I have for you guys is, is today's ed tech company serving the students or are they serving their bottom line? Because we all say that we want to make students empowered, but are we really and yes, that's a comment for the teachers and the ed tech companies and the school districts. So are we doing ourselves easy by keeping the students unaware of things? Or are we doing ourselves easy by making the kids get up and do these big projects? And should we be bringing our kids to ISTE? I'd love to get everybody to comment on ed tech companies providing what students actually need. Well, I'll jump in. <laughs> Who wants to go over it? Yeah, the corollary to that is misunderstanding is all you see. So uh, when we are blind to the actual impact on student achievement, we are going to be confounded. And I think that's really part of the pro part of the reason why um, technology in education is a wicked problem. And that's in the research literature. Wicked problem is a problem that is um, ill-defined, ill-structured, hard to identify, uh, and is yet unresolved. The educational technology, I define it as a wicked problem because we still haven't kind of figured out why the impact is so low and what we can do about it. Um, I think I I'm on the I'm on the I'm on the case, though. <laughs> there are a lot of others that are on the case to figure out uh, why uh, why this is so and what we can do about it. And I think hearing voices from the learners is essential. I, I think you nailed it. Having kids um, express how they learn best and how which strategies they use in Hattie's three models of in, in his model of learning, the three stages: surface learning deeper learning, and knowledge transfer. We almost never get to knowledge transfer. We barely get to deeper learning in most educational systems. But I think technologies can provide ways to enhance the deeper learning and the knowledge transfer by students creating these authentic tutorials. We don't necessarily have to bring the kids to ISTE, but bring their products, bring the things, the authentic artifacts that they create, and that, that, may, that may take us to the tipping point that we need. What do you think and that it? would be ideal, but go ahead, Amanda. Yeah, I think also, um, you know, just to continue on that train of thought, um, when you walk through something like that exhibit hall at ISTE, um, what I think about are, um, you know, measurements of success. What is success, right? What does that actually look like? Is that the same everywhere? Uh, does it need to be standardized testing? Um, you know, we can be somewhat agnostic to what success looks like um, across different groups of students because they may need different things. So um, I think about equity in education and, you know, is there room for all of these tools? Possibly. Um, I think Sunny's absolutely right that that there should be built into, you know, any product some, some capacity to, um, at the very least, produce metrics around how that tool is being used uh, and then whether... Um, the users can identify those themselves and, and run there and use the data. That's great. Or perhaps some other way. Um, that's what's important. And, and then everyone can make a more informed decision about what's working best for their students. Sometimes when you're walking through and you through, especially the expo hall and you see like there are teachers or ambassadors who are like talking about how they're using the product in their classroom. I mean, that's helpful to have that testimony, but I agree with Sunny that now I want to see 
Now I want to see it from a student's point of view. What what do the students see and what have they produced as a result of that? And that would be ideal if even if it was like come at this time to learn about it and then we'll tell you here's a teacher presenting about it. And thirdly, here's what it looked like from this is what the students produced as a result. And these are the learning targets that we met. I mean, obviously, when you're walking through the expo hall, there's always these two categories, right? There's things you've seen and and that have gotten updated. And then there's the brand new, uh, you know, this is a a new category, a new feature, a new company, a new whatever. Um, Sonny, to keep on your theme, is there anything that you saw this week that uh, at ISTE that you stopped at the booth and you said, how could I dance with another when I saw you standing there? Is there anything you're like, I have to have that. I have to bring that into my classroom or man, that, that was a great idea. I saw a lot of things actually. Sorry, but, I, I but, forgot. Woo! <laughs> well, I, I saw a lot of things that made me twist and shout, uh, but uh, it's, it's, I, I view things through the lens of my T3 framework, which organizes the use of technology into three domains, what I call translational technology use, transformational technology use and transcendent technology use, translational, transformational, and transcendent. And that's a lens through which I can view most tools and say, ah, I see how that could be used to help students with production and contribution. That's the transformational domain. Or, ah, there's a tool that would be great for inquiry design or social entrepreneurship. That's the transcendent technologies. Really, I think we have to recalibrate our value perspective on technology and realize that this is going to sound like heresy, but technology has no inherent value in and of itself. Technology has no inherent value in and of itself. The value is made manifest by how it's used and by whom. Well, Michelle, was there anything that you saw that you might want to be teaching eight days a week? Uh uh, yes, and I will say that the one place that I love visiting in the expo hall is the startup pavilion, and I have met so many like just great people and ideas, and some that I've I started and met at the EdTech pavilion five years ago, and I've watched them like create a, a useful transformational reading platform that I use in my classroom on a daily basis. Uh, this year, there was one company I want to adopt them because <laughs> I was blown away by their platform and that was Words Live. Hmm. And it's this guy from Harvard and he's created this like some sort of like there's a whole formula to it but you put in and this is for all the english teachers out there uh, you put in what you want to study like say we're talking figurative language metaphors and then choose a classic text like what's your traditional classic uh piece of literature that you would use whether it's a poem or uh, an excerpt from uh something or other they will match it with a contemporary pop culture, like music video song or poem, and then lay out for you, here's a whole lesson plan, how you can use it and check out the connections that we've made. Uh, it was it was some funky engine that I thought, oh my God, this is going to transform and make connections for for many who struggle like, why is The Great Gatsby still relevant today or To Kill a Mockingbird? Oh, my God, you're giving me ideas that are that relate to current rap music or popular videos. I, I think that for English teacher 
is something that can inspire. I mean, so Michelle, they're, uh, what you're saying is that company was born to run, whereas others are just living on a prayer. <laughs> yeah, I sum it up? God, totally. I had to get, I had to get that. <laughs> Definitely, good. Amanda. Sorry, Love it. Sorry. Sorry. Uh, I'm, I'm done. Okay. Point, so first of all, point for Amanda. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I agree with Michelle. There's a lot of companies out there right now that are trying flashy stuff, right? Like, again, the rap music, the rock music, the let's do it with song, let's do it with a robot. There's a lot of things out there. I'm sure suddenly you walked around, looked at a both, and just said, dude, let it be. I'll get this away from us here. We don't need this in education. What? Now, getting back to your framework and all the research you've done, what do you do if you're a teacher and you have... I, I don't even say a mandate, but something that comes into your classroom and you're like, I, I really don't want this, yeah. but I'm forced to teach with it. But I, I can't figure out the educational value to it. Where do you turn well, to for help? You, you know, I think we, we need to recognize that um, uh, John's research, Hattie's research shows, you know, the effect size of 0.34, which is like a, a three on a scale of one to 10. That's the, the current reality in which we live right now. And there's the reason for that is that the, the predominant teaching practice is tell and practice. Teachers tell their students what knowledge to memorize. Students then go out and memorize it and memorize it. The successful students won't forget what they memorized until after the test. We have to move away from just surface learning, from privileging surface learning, to empowering students and teachers to open up their classrooms so that they're no longer just the conversations aren't monologues, but dialogues, and have students create tools, produce things, deepen their understanding, transfer their knowledge by creating their own screencast tutorials using various tools to produce learning artifacts that teach others what they now know. Um, and the, the question is, well, where do I begin? We've had technology integration framework for 20 years. They have not moved the needle forward. TPAC and other models have been around for a long time. That's why the T3 framework is a framework for innovation, not simple digitization. And uh, you need to really know where you are now, set some meaningful but attainable goals, and track and monitor your progress and your students' progress along the way. And while we're you know, talking about lyrics, I, I, I love the, 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 uh, the, the lyrical um, uh, um, discussion. In, in, in my book, uh, to, pro to promote close reading, I hid a dozen Easter eggs. I hid a dozen lyrics from classic rock songs in, in the book. And for those that identify those lyrics and share them back with me, I'll play them for you. <laughs> nice. That's great. As we go through here, and I'm, I'm talking to, you know, the, the, you know, we're all Jersey people here. Um, next year, ISTE is going to be in Philadelphia. Really? And between now and then, it is certainly going to be a long and winding road for education. See what I did there? And <laughs> Where do you see everything going, right? Like, where, where do you hope to see, or what do you hope to see next year at ISTE as it improves, as it grows one more year, and as the trends, you know, come, go, fizzle? Um, Amanda, you can talk a little bit about Learn and, and maybe some of your roadmap out there, but where do you want to see, or what do you want to see next year at ISTE? Sure. Um, so I know I mentioned this briefly, but just to make it clear, I am a recovering tech director. Um, and, you know, I carry that experience with me into every conversation, every implementation I see through at Learn, because managing ed tech and, and all that encompasses it can be a humbling experience. It, it just is. Um, even with the wealth of resources and information available at conferences like ISTE, I think as we've been saying, there's so much, uh, how do you know what's really going to help? 
uh, in that particular kind of situation. So in terms of things that I'd like to see, you know, the ISD network is strong. Uh, it does an incredible job, I think, of bringing educators together. Um, I'm always a fan of structured supports for a particular group of educational innovators, the tech directors, the facilitators, um, that I think could perhaps be connecting at touch points throughout the year as cohorts or other mechanisms in a personal way um, that gives an outlet for sharing resources, experience. So um, I know that just newly announced the Future Ready Schools Institutes, something that came out at ISTE this year, ISTU. Um, I think those can be great examples of this as it ramps up. Um, I've seen it done extremely well with other member networks like Atlas, who has a, a cohort that meets mostly virtually, but they kind of use that conference as a, a time to really sit down and get together. So those are things that just overall as educational trends, I'm, I'm always looking for opportunities for those who are boots on the ground doing that work to find. Um, one last point I'd, I'd love to just add to what Sunny was saying uh, previously in your question, Jeff, about so what does a teacher do, right? If, if they're using a tool or perhaps they come across something and Let's say it's the reverse. They really love this tool, but they're not sure exactly how to bring that to their um, administrators to ask for a larger implementation. Um, I think sometimes it's really difficult to find the words to explain, to share how we feel about EdTech. Uh, I love it. I hate it. It's great. It works. It doesn't work. That was surely my experience as an EdTech director trying to get deeper into the conversation of, so what's actually happening here? Um, and one thing that the EdTech advisor does, but also for any teacher who wants to join the Learn Platform community, we have a research-backed grading rubric that has uh, points criteria um, around experiences with technology products. So things like ease of use and navigation, um, impact on teaching effectiveness on an A through F grading scale. Um, just the rubric itself, which is available on the platform, can have these conversations turn from purely anecdotal and general to something that's much more specific, I think, and helpful as we also begin to really dive into the evidence-based impact work. Um, I think when you put all that together, you can really um, get somewhere in a way that teachers are comfortable with and give them a lexicon um, because so often I think that is part of the struggle. Michelle, what about you from a, a, a pure teacher pedagogical standpoint? Next year in Philadelphia, what are you looking to see? Um, still, I, you know, I definitely am always interested in from the ground up what teachers are doing that's working. But like uh, Sunny had mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, the more pedagogy for me, the more meaningful it is. You know, I really took a deep dive this conference in UDL and universal design learning, and I was really intrigued by that. So I tried to go to many uh, sessions that would help to inform my thinking and teaching practices with when it comes to UDL. So, um, you know, having those opportunities across the different types of presentations is always, is always helpful. Nice. Sunny, how about yourself? Next year, Philadelphia, where do you want to go with everything? Well, I hope we get back to where we once belonged. And that is we get back to a pedagogical approach that is enhanced by technology and put the education back in educational technology. Uh, that's where the, uh, the most reliable processes reside in enhancing high, highly reliable teaching and learning strategies with technology. My, my fear is that 
if we do not disrupt the epidemic of low impact technology, when I'm 64, the impact of the technology is still going to be a 0.34. And, and I've committed my life to making sure that that doesn't happen. One of the great things that, that I had experienced at uh, uh, ISTE this year was meeting with so many people in my T3 ex educational executive leadership group that are taking what I call the T3 challenge. Um, West Ada schools in, in Idaho, Newton County in Georgia, Atlanta Public Schools, Val Verde uh, Public Schools, um, uh, Oxford Unified uh, Union High School, uh, Skokie, Illinois, all these districts are moving and implementing the T3 framework for, uh, for innovation. So I hope that they will be able to tell their stories of impact uh, at ISTE in Philadelphia 2019. Because as John Hattie says, what we, what we really have to do as, as educational, as stewards of the future of this planet, we have to know know our impact. He implores us to know thy impact. And I'd like to uh, hope that that becomes a theme for ISTE 2019 and beyond. You know, I don't, I don't have a, a way of doing a, a toast on an audio podcast, but I think we can all, everybody out there listening in their cars, rejoice and say goo goo gajoob on that. <laughs> Indeed. I, I have no idea how to end this show at this point. Um, we are looking to do a future shows with our friends at ISTE, ASCD, FETC on things like how to make a proposal, how to survive a mega conference, how to, how to plan. I, I've always wanted to do a show on how, how does the planning start, right? Like, and I, I talk to public relations firms about this. I talk to ISTE people about like, when does ISTE start? And I, I, I was sitting there on the Tuesday of the conference and, you know, the website is isteconference.org, but really it's isteconference.org forward slash 2018. And I was sitting there like going, okay, slash 2019. And I, I kept hitting refresh throughout the week going, okay, at some point in time when they, you know, when they close the lights on the first one and they open up the second one, before we leave from Chicago, that 19 website's going to be up there. When do they start planning for this? And somebody came over and said, so, you know, the 2020 is going to be in Anaheim. And I'm going, <laughs> okay, this is a multi, multi-year commitment for anybody, right? And I, even when I'm talking to the, the big tech companies, they're like, yeah, we've already got our hotels booked for Anaheim. And I'm going, okay. So they're planning as the conference is unfolding. Oh, of course they are. I mean, they're already, I mean, I was there already talking about what we could do in Philadelphia with a literacy PLN, like uh, do some fun night versus like a social happy hour. Cause it's, then you have that. And we haven't talked about that at all. Those, those social pieces and how you can network and learn from those little niches. Right. Ew. I mean, I, I had somebody come up because you know, I was in Philadelphia. I mean, we're, we're from Philadelphia, kind of. But I had somebody come up and say, you know, how do you find Philadelphia for ISTE? And I said, well, you just turn left to Greenland. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I'm so I just sorry. Got, for... I just got my hair cut yesterday. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, what advice do you guys have, right? Like, I, I, we're coming up here. October is coming. October, of course, is proposal season. Um, any advice on creating proposals? Any advice on planning for next year? When do you guys usually start to get your hotels? Um, give me, like, one or two minutes to kind of wrap up. How do you plan for next year? And um, let's kind of sign off after that. So how do you plan for next year? And then how do we find more information about the great work you're doing? Um, Amanda, we'll talk about you first. That sounds great. Um, so let's talk about planning or in my case, um, 
lack of planning when it comes to booking flights and hotels. I wing it sometimes. I probably shouldn't admit that. Uh, It always works out, though. Um, In terms of, you know, that RFP process, I sit on some RFP review committees for a few conferences, uh, not ISTE, and, um, and, you know, seeing that process from from the inside out is is really, I think, um, is something to behold because it it is – a group of really dedicated folks who come together and, and do their best in, in this growing face of so many people who want to present at these conferences. So it is a daunting task. Um, I prefer a team approach as much as possible. I think the more people that can be involved, even just to hear the pitch here, you know, hear the plan and the execution of that and a proposal is great and makes it a lot more fun. Um, in terms of what's coming up, um, we're going to be at a whole bunch of conferences um, and, you know, many other places as, as the year, uh, you know, winds into its second half. So um, I would just check out learnplatform.com to find out uh, more about us and our team, uh, researchers and educators, technologists, and, and who we are and what we do. Uh, you know, we're a B Corp. We're here to help uh, and really, you know, drive the mission of, of all of our partners. And, and it has been a true pleasure to be here today. So thank you so much. And we'll certainly have all the great stuff from Learn Platform on our show notes. And I'll also uh, include the podcast from a few months ago when we had them on. Uh, Michelle, what are you thinking about next year? Uh, well, if we're talking about like making a proposal or like setting up a proposal, definitely, you know, think about the pedagogy and what's the purpose. I would, well, just make it all peas. Uh, create a panel. I think that the more people who speak, the better. Um, you know, they're always going to choose those edu celebrities. But I think when you have a panel discussion, it's a lot more meaningful, especially when it's grounded in both practice and pedagogy and, and research. You know, that's that's very helpful. And also, like, start playing around with titles. You know, here we are throwing out, like, plays on music lyrics, you know, play around with that, you know, get involved that way um, in, in putting it all together and thinking about, you know, whether we're talking about ISSI and, or everything that comes before it. Dr. Sonny, what are you thinking about next year? You know, I'm really excited to uh, be back in the Delaware Valley next year and uh, the great state of Philadelphia or great city of Philadelphia. And I think I I would encourage people to um, recognize that presenting just like learning is a team sport you know john dewey said almost 100 years ago that teaching is a participatory sport but it's also a team sport and i'm paraphrasing but i think we should consider that presenting sharing the stories of impact should also be a team sport uh and i encourage people to work in panels i love that suggestion michelle uh amanda's suggestion as well is great to you know uh, think about uh, what story do you have that highlights the impact of technology, not just the simple digitization of teaching and learning tasks. Um, and uh, so I, I'm looking forward to uh, uh, being being present and also uh, to help folks. Uh, I've actually just uh, written a little research paper that was endorsed by uh, Dr. Hattie, aligning the T3 framework with the visible learning model. He uh, said it was, a, it was a credible, powerful, and exciting challenge. And I invite people to take the T3 challenge. You can go to my website. Uh, www.maganiaeducation.com, M-A-G-A-N-A, education.com. Download that free white paper on the lining visible learning and T3 and use that as a, as a springboard to think about uh, how your technology use is enhancing not just surface learning, but deeper learning and knowledge transfer for Philly uh, tw- ISTE 2019 and beyond. 
I would certainly recommend that. I'm going to be putting some links to a lot of the stuff that, uh, well, a lot, all the stuff. I, I don't want to say a lot. That sounds bad. But all the stuff that Sonny is talking about here, he has certainly, this was a long way, Sonny, to get to this one. Sonny is certainly a paperback writer. <laughs> okay, that was that was a long way to go to get to the punchline. <laughs> I stumbled on the way there. Guys, I want to say thank you out there for listening to our show. We're, of course, doing a lot of great stuff as we move through the summer. We've got uh, many more ISTE shows. We've already put out shows with John K.O. We put out shows with Flipgrid. We put out our shows with PowerSchool. Um, we're putting out our one of our Microsoft shows. We're putting out a lot of uh, other content that we're doing. Um, plus, we also have had a chance to work over at the Wii Video booth. I had a chance to talk to Dr. Nate about a lot of things, um, and so we'll be making some blog posts over on TeacherCast about that. We want to know how you found ISTE. You can go over to TeacherCast.net slash ISTE. That's TeacherCast.net slash I-S-T-E to find all of our interviews from this and all of our six years over at ISTE, and we want to hear from you. Check us out over on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voice message at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. I know you want to. We can work it out together. On behalf of everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. <laughs>